This is the Weekly Squeeze. I'm your talented and humble host, Hanala Music, coming at you from the land of Israel. This is episode 166. Good morning. Hope you are well. I am well. I am well. I spent the morning in the park. It was beautiful. It was glorious. Like I always say, the best part of living in Israel is living in Israel. What a schus. It does not get old. The sky is so blue here. The air is crisp. We have the most remarkable view, and I am grateful. I am grateful to Hashem every single day that he made this possible for me. And he did, like they say. Something either pushes you to Israel or pulls you to Israel, and I was pulled to Israel. I had a yearning in my heart. And now I am here for my second war. And yeah, processing, processing, mostly how amazing people are. There are so many incredible people. I am humbled beyond humbled. I don't know if you're watching interviews from the hostage families or from the mothers of Israeli soldiers, but so many remarkable people. That will be our legacy. The mother of Yotem Chaim, the redhead hostage that was kidnapped from Kibbutz Be'eri, she shared that over 500 people came to be Menachem from all over the country. She wrote, people I don't know, people from all over the country, came to thank me and my husband for being able to be full of optimism and hope throughout the 70 days for our outlook on life and for our ability to remain happy even after such a devastating event. Her son was taken hostage. He was killed by friendly fire. And uh, she has been just the epitome of grace in all of this. So, yeah, I too thank her. All right, what's going on in the land of Israel? It's hard for me to give you the news on one foot, but there haven't been any explosions um, over Beit Shemesh anyways. It's been fairly quiet as far as missiles go because we're taking out the missiles, and that's what our soldiers are doing in Gaza. They are finding the weapons, and they're finding the tunnels, and they're finding the missiles, and they're finding all the ways that the Palestinian people teach their children to kill us, including a puzzle a children's puzzle that has little drawings on it of little children acting out terrorist attacks on Israel. That's the actual puzzle, including tons of Hitler paraphernalia, children dressed up with machine guns. Wow. I cannot underscore the importance of education. If only we would educate our children with the same fervor as they educated their children to hate us. If only we would educate our children to love Hashem and to sacrifice themselves and to not be afraid to be different and to wear their keep us proudly and to be proud to be Jewish and that it's okay to be different. We wouldn't have had to assimilate. If people only taught their children that it's okay to be Jewish and you should be proud to be Jewish, we wouldn't have lost millions of Jews by assimilation and perhaps we'd be a stronger nation. So if there's anything we can uh, learn from our enemy is determination. Yeah, determination. And that's something I think we need more of. I think we need more. At the beginning of the war, Hamas was begging for a prisoner exchange at a very relatively low price because they were terrified. They were terrified that this was the moment that Israel finally sieged them and made sure that they were hungry and thirsty enough to collapse. And they were at the brink brink of collapse, even if psychologically But then, you know, something shifted, and I don't know if it's international pressure or just our government not being as fierce as Hamas is. Well, we now are feeding them Gantzfein, 
Nobody's starving in Gaza. And I don't get it. It's like they wanted to do this to themselves. They wanted to commit suicide. They're like, please, let us commit suicide. Let us fulfill our dream of being Shahids. And we're like, no, we're going to feed you and medicate you and make sure that you're comfortable and that all your tents have postal delivery or whatever. It's like, it's ridiculous. And, 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 and I think that's the mood here. As Israelis recognize, at the end of the day, we are doing our best to destroy Hamas, but we're also doing pretty darn good at feeding them. So that, that's, just, that's just an unpleasant reality right now. But I'm not, I'm not going to get myself all riled up at this moment. Instead, we're going to focus on all positivity. Just kidding. I have the two Jewish guys here, and they love to complain about the Israeli government. So we are going to talk domestic politics. We are going to be open and honest about the things that Israel could perhaps be doing better, could have done better, how we got here in the first place, and if we're ever going to get out. And by getting out, I mean, will we ever get to a place where Israel can say, we won this war definitively, and that October 7th was just the Gazans declaring that they wanted to commit suicide. And because we are the most generous nation in the world, well, we were happy to provide. We are more than happy. We are at your service. You want to commit suicide? Yalla, we will help you. Here's the rope. So while we're feeding them, I don't know. All right, let's focus on a couple of positive things. And then we are going to get to my conversation with two nice Jewish boys. That is not just my opinion. That is the fact. They are the two nice Jewish boys of the Two Nice Jewish Boys podcast, a podcast that I actually really enjoy. I've been listening to for years. And we're going to talk today about what's going on in Israel and... Uh, all that jazz. We're going to preach to the choir because it feels good and it's cheaper than therapy. Uh, but before we do, let's just talk about a couple of the beautiful, positive things that are going on so I can leave you with something uplifting. So perhaps you can share this podcast with a friend. Breaking Noah Kirel shared a story on Instagram where she is wearing the IDF uniform and no fake eyelashes. She is completely ready to serve her country Noah Carell is a very successful singer-songwriter, actress, model, television host, and a reality television program judge in Israel's Got Talent. She won five MTV Europe Music Awards for Best Israeli Act from 2017 to 2022, and she is bringing her act and her voice and her beauty and her talent and her skill and her loyalty to the IDF. So Hamas, if you weren't scared yet, a unicorn is coming to take care of business in Gaza. The cutest video of the war, I think at this point, goes to a young man in Beit Shemesh, my neighborhood, actually. My, my daughter came home from school and she said, today a chayal came to my classroom and surprised his sister and, and it was so cute and we filmed it and somebody was filming it. Turns out this kid has eight siblings and he filmed himself hugging each one with that song, Gamba Shaot, the one that I put on episode 165, one back, I shared three, my three top war songs. He's so cute. He's hugging his mother. He's hugging his sisters. His little brother comes careening out of the classroom. His other brother runs down the stairs. They embrace him so tightly. The uh, cap, the catchphrase or the caption, the caption on this video is, when you come home after 88 days in Gaza, but you have nine siblings. So, so cute. If you haven't seen it, the link to my beautiful land of Israel Instagram page is in the show notes, as is the fundraiser for the IDF uniforms that this podcast is helping pay for. That's right. Thanks to your donations, we have raised almost $50,000 
for 120 fireproof tactical uniforms for soldiers up north on the Lebanon border. These these uniforms are Italian-made, Israeli-distributed. They're better than the standard standard Israeli uniforms. They're coming with helmets, the best helmets money can buy, and we're getting them wholesale thanks to you. So our soldiers are defending Israel. They're protecting our country. Help them out. $18, $36, $1,000. You got cash. This is the place to drop it. The link is in my show notes. All right, tomorrow I am actually going to Kibbutz Peri and Nova with Israel 365 to see the sites where the horrors occurred. And I'll be back Thursday to share that with you, my experience. So look out for episode 167. But let's focus on today. Today I have two nice Jewish boys from the Two Nice Jewish Boys podcast for a conversation about what could be better, what could be changed, and how we can do that. Eitan Weinstein, he's half of the Jewish Boys. He is an interactive script writer. He grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and pronounces the word drawer funny. I forgot to ask him. Oh, shucks. And Noah Menninger, he is an independent filmmaker. He's obsessed with Italy and runs the Israeli Parmesan black market, which until now I did not know existed. But they exist, and they have a great show. I'm putting a link in the show notes. And today we're going to talk to them. So without further ado, Eitan Weinstein and Noor Menninger. Eitan and Noor, welcome to the Weekly Squeeze. So glad to have you guys here. I've been listening to your podcast for years. Love Thank it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Big fan. Yeah. It's hard to know who your listeners are, right? Like, you never know. And then someone super cool meets you and they're like, I listened to your show. And you're like, oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I love the show. Thank you so much. So I thought... You know, a great opportunity to meet you guys. I don't know about you, but I need to process. Like, I still need to understand how we got here, how we're going to get out of here as an Israeli, as an American, as a parent, as a Jew. You know, the last few months have been so raw, so draining. And I always say podcasting is cheaper than therapy. So this is, yeah, this is, this is helping. So let's talk. Let's talk. First of all, just to introduce you to my audience, which I did already before you even got on the show. I sang your praises. But before we even get to that, let's let let's just for, for a starting point. So this is for both of you. Um, I guess my first question would be, does calling for the genocide of Jews in your home go against <laughs> the code of conduct? <laughs> Um, I don't know. You know, it depends on the context, really. That's what I, uh, that's what I like to tell my daughter of one year and eight months. I tell her it really depends on the context. Sometimes when you call for the genocide of Jews with your cute little hands and voice, then it's, it's not so bad. No, I, um, first of all, thank you for having us on. Sure. This is a, I think a great opportunity to really talk about. And I totally agree that podcasting is definitely cheaper than therapy. And it's, I, I think it's why we started. It's, um, we had a lot of psychological issues and we had to work through them. Yeah. It's been seven years now. And no future. We, and we haven't, I don't think worked through a single one. No, uh, still no future. In fact, they've gotten worse. <laughs> they've gotten, gotten worse, gradually yeah. worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, but in all honesty, I think podcasting, what's unique about it and what I'm so, I'm so happy that it kind of came into the world is that, Conversation and long form conversation, I think, really is the solution to to many things. You know, outside of n things that can't be solved with conversation, like the problem that we have on our north and in our south. But but within a family, within a society, that conversation is is the way to solve things. And I think that 
today in the 24 hour news cycle and everything, there's no real chance to have actual, uh, real conversation. I and feel so I'm like, really happy. Yeah. My, my, me too. I feel like social media besides for uh, reducing our attention span to that of a net, um, it, it has, it's taken away the solutions. I feel like social, social media is the problems. It presents all the problems and podcasting and long form conversation. Like you're saying, that's where the solutions lie. That's where, yeah. you know, it takes time to unpack and discuss. And we are at a point in our society where we need some serious healing. That's, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that's but why social media is a problem to you. You're asking why it's a problem to me. Oh, for so many reasons. Um, mostly because I don't think we're meant to live in each other's kishkas. I don't think we're supposed to be watching each other's lives unfold. We're supposed to maintain a certain amount of privacy as human beings, as individuals, as Jewish people. That 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 the the sense of modesty it's just gone, never to be, never to come back. So mm -hmm. I just think that's it's the root of so many problems. But we're not here to talk about my emotional issues. We are here to talk about Israel's emotional issues. <laughs> so let's let's start by getting each of you to share from your perspectives, and feel free to take as much time as you'd like. What did October seventh? prove to each of you I, I got a couple of lessons that I think I uh, took away so far and maybe I'll work through them through some more at least live out loud I'll think out loud but I think um, one of the things that struck me in the last couple of months is that we have as a nation Jews a tendency to or a proclivity towards, towards uh, like self-blame and, um, and sort of la cote al you know, to, to, we always have to find our sins and repent for them. And, and while, you know, I think in life everything is a matter of balance, so I think that there's, the, it, it's generally a good characteristic to, to have accountability and responsibility, but once it comes to, once it turns into blame, I think that's bad. And what what we saw after October 7th is this tendency to, the, there's there's this discourse around how we brought this upon ourselves with the, uh, with the tension and the rifts within Israeli society. And, you know, things were on the precipice and we were on the, you know, we were on the edge of a civil war, people were saying, and, and this is what happened. This is, you know, that's, that's what led to this. We, we were infighting, we were so involved with hating one another that, that we brought this about. And I think that we're learning the wrong lesson in a way. Like it's not, we didn't bring this on ourselves. We, we, we have responsibility and there are definitely big blunders that were made and we need to learn from that and we need to grow from that. We need to think about how we can, you know, try our best to prevent this from ever happening or again. But <clears throat> but we aren't to blame. Like we, there are people, like everybody wants to kill us. I mean, our enemies around us, everybody wants to kill us. They are thirsty for our blood, literally. And uh, they're barbaric, evil villains. And they want to kill us. And that's what happened on October 7th is we let our guard down for whatever reason and they 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 flooded in and they murdered and kidnapped and raped and did what they do best uh 
Um, and, so you and, don't necessarily believe this is a some sort of spiritual reckoning that we need to do. You don't want that to be the focus because for a lot of people, that's that's what it is. You, uh, what's going on behind closed doors is not going to affect Hamas. The fact that we were fighting on Yom Kippur, it's obviously there's something deeper. People, you know, many people in this country are believers and they believe that uh, everything happens for a spiritual reason. So I think that's also like the Havat Yisrael, the the love for your fellow Jew. Yeah, it's a social issue, but it's also a spiritual issue. I I think that our I think that what happened on Yom Kippur, for example, is at the fringe of Israeli society. I think that the demonstrations are at the fringe of Israeli society. I think that generally most Israelis um, are there's there's not necessarily wide consensus, but I think that there is Achvat Israel, and I think that I think that the whole idea of us devolving to a civil war is, in my view a bit ridiculous. I think we're far from it. I don't think that that would happen. I think, you know, what what proves it to me is every Friday night when I'm sitting around the table with my family and my three leftist uh, sisters, some more extreme than the other, and my parents who are right wing and my dad who's super center and my mom's a little bit more uh, far to the right and I'm, you know, somewhere there and and we all manage to sit around the table and have dinner. And yeah, we fight and we argue. And sometimes it devolves into shouting. And then we talk about it and we make up. And then we have Friday night dinner again the next week. But you, you change right. your opinion about that throughout the months. No, if I can get you out of the closet. Uh, you, you were... You were uh, <laughs> Not for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, uh, at, you were saying before, before the war... Uh, in during the last year, you did express uh, your opinions about the need, even for or the the inevitable inev- inevitability of a civil war. No, did I? Yes. I, I say I'd have to. Yes, I really you challenge said, you to find me that quote. I think what I oh, always said it to me. Maybe I think what not I to... always said was that I uh, that that what bothers me in the discourse on the left is the fact that they are resorting to methods that are non-democratic or not civilized and that unless we want to devolve into a civil war which i don't think we will or should then you have to you have to have you have to have conversations and you have to solve things in a democratic way in elections listen right. there has there has been evidence that hamas was aware that we were distracted let's say quote you know air quotes distracted However, I think the bottom line is, and this is what, you know, going back to the question, what has October 7th proven to you? It's proven to you that Hamas is barbaric no matter what. Like, it makes no difference what's going on here. We could all have been standing in the streets and, and uh, singing Kumbaya, and this would have happened. It makes no difference. No, so I no th- wait, 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 I think, wait. I think but- I just want to, I want to f- complete the thing. I think that the lesson is that, yes, we, we should learn a lesson, and we did make mistakes, and our mistake is that we we undermined our enemy. We, not we undermined, we underestimated our, en, our our enemy, and we didn't realize how barbaric they are. And we thought we could manage it, and we thought we could appease, and we thought we could do this and that. In the end, we need to destroy them. We need to bring them to their knees, and we need to destroy them. And I think that's the lesson we should learn, and not this whole like we need to you know sing around the bonfire kumbaya and like hold hands. It's irrelevant. And, but it's I irrelevant. I. I I disagree with what you said earlier. Like, uh, yeah, the the no matter why we the army wasn't there, right? You said like uh, no matter why it happened. No, it matters why it happened. I think that the army wasn't there, and to me, like I think if you ask about October seventh, 
um, I think the average Israeli right winger was far from surprised as you, you know, opened the TV at 7 a.m. and saw, you know, the left, I think, was shocked because their entire, um, you know, worldview and belief system collapsed in front of their eyes. And sometimes it's decades of of almost religion-like, sect-like beliefs that are detached from reality and it finally collapsed in front of their eyes. Um, not like German Jews who found themselves, uh, you know, uh, who, 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 who like looked out of the window one morning and saw uh, the Nazi flag and so ghettos. in the ghettos. Uh, and but to me, like the main lesson, um, because there is a reason why it happened. Of course, Hamas always wanted to kill us, and they will kill us. I don't think it's it's news that. They are are willing and capable of uh, doing such attack, and and we now know that the army knew they're capable of it and that they're planning planning it. I think we do need to talk about what happened here before, and mainly about the fact that on October seventh, the army was uh, debilitated by uh, refusals by uh, by intelligence officers, by pilots who refused to show up for training, right? And the army found itself, um, you know, in a very weak place on October well, 7th. On. And they, and they, one, 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 one more okay. point, and, and I am sure that Hamas chose this date because it saw, you know, on, on September, you open Channel 12, our, our like most watched channel, and uh, the anchor said, Israel has no air force in prime time. Right. So Hamas saw it and they said, and rightfully so, and it's, it's an opportunity. And indeed, on October 7th, many pilots showed up and they couldn't go on planes because they haven't trained. If you don't train for once, once a week, you, can't, you, you cannot fly the plane. So, so they weren't, weren't allowed on the planes. Right. So our politics did ha- play a role in what happened on October 7th. I don't, I don't think it's politics. Well, it's, it's not it's, politics. It's, it's, it's that the reason the, people didn't show up is because they were against the reform or pro the reform. So it played out in all these leftist uh, pilots saying we're not. Yeah, we're, but, we're just, but the fact that the IDF, the chief of the IDF didn't dismiss all those who rebelled. Right. He chose to contain the rebellion, um, which is was borderline treason. OK. Uh, that's not political. That's unprofessional uh, on his part, right? Right. I, I asked this to Flor Hassan. She's the deputy mayor of Jerusalem. I had her on a few weeks ago, and I said, okay, so let's say we knew that October 7th was happening. Let's say everything went according to the book. Israel identified that this was going to happen, and they prepared the, you know, the army to make sure it doesn't. Let's say we can literally rewind the clock. So what, what would Israel have done? Would Israel have stood there and, and taken out all these thousands of people that were charging the border? Would Israel have entered Gaza sooner? And to add to that, on an international level, we can barely convince people October 7th happened the way it did. How would we have, uh, where would, what, would, what, would we have, what would they have thought had we said, we knew this could have happened? Do you understand? Like we would have, we're, we're always in this situation that this could happen any minute. 
But the question is, when we we're, when we're not the IDF, when we're not the defense force, but rather we're aggressive and we we're proactive, then it, it just backfires and it's an international disaster. And you have all the leftists up in arms and everybody killing each other. So you know what I mean? It feels like a catch sixty. What is it? Sixty two. Catch twenty two. Catch twenty two. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if the army knew, uh, the army did know, but I think if the army had prepared uh, properly, then, you know, there would have been people with weapons pointed at whoever was knocking down the fence and they would have been shot on the spot. And, you know, hopefully nobody would have been even been able to to break through the fence, um, you know, which was which was the situation in Gaza for a while. Meaning, I remember I served on the border of Gaza. Anybody who got near the fence, you know, got a, at least a bullet to the leg. But not in um, recent years. But yeah, in recent we, we years. We remember my Chadaria Shmueli, right? Yeah, yeah. Who was killed in point blank. Yeah, yeah. Because the army didn't stop them from approaching the fence for years. Yeah. So I I agree with you, and I think that. That, that's what I'm saying is that there are lessons. I'm not saying there are no lessons to be learned. I'm saying there are lessons to be learned, but we're focusing on the wrong thing. We're focusing on this whole um, division inside Israel and how we you know, need to make. And I think that even might be what led to the disaster or part of what led to the disaster is the fact that we were so focused on this, the, the reform, right? And the the division it was causing in Israeli society, politicians forgot their calling, which is to represent the people who put them there. And instead, they saw themselves as the leaders of all of Israel. We are the leader. We need to make sure that everybody is happy. And no, are you talking we about put, our government, our present government. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that they uh, proved to be. Um, they 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 proved to be. I don't know how to put it, um, uh, sterile. They, they, they got into office. We sent them there for a reason. And then, you know, there was all this shouting. Ab- got distracted. There was, yeah, there was all this shouting about, oh, no, that's not even what the voters want. It's like, don't tell us what we want. We voted our government in, and we want a judicial reform. And they started on that path, and they lost sight. They saw all this, the, 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 the demonstrations and all this infighting, and they said, okay, we need to make peace. No, you need to do what you were sent there to do. And that's what I'm saying is that I think what we're losing focus by, by trying to do this, uh, by trying to, like to, to preserve the, the peace within Israel. Like, I don't think we need to worry about that as much. Okay. Um, October 7th was three months ago. Uh, we were still in the in the midst of a, an intense war, the war or the war. I, I, even the the word is silly because we're not looking for war. We're just ha- we just have to per, you know deter war. But up north, the, things are getting progressively worse. I, I, I'll tell you, I think what's sitting still on most Israelis at this moment are the hostages, and it's been three months, and they've collected so much information. I read someone tweet that I read a tweet that. Literally like a, like a Hollywood movie. Like Sinwar is sitting and the hostages are literally around him, exactly like we imagined, exactly how it would play out in a, in a film, in a Spider-Man film, like the evil villain. They finally get to him and it's impossible. So we really need a miracle to get those hostages back, despite what, you know, the amount of information, documentation, uh, I, I mean, the amount of people that were arrested. At this point, you would have thought the Hamas, that Israel would have 
had more hostages, and I think that's what's keeping everybody's mood so somber. What are you, what are your thoughts on all that? Is it a, is that a is that a failure of in our in our government? You know, negotiations or our our political um, know how or you know savvy, or is that just the idea of not being able to reach its goal in that way? No, I wouldn't blame. I, I think the IDF is to blame for. Um, you know, we saw pictures like the IDF is, is, mm, I'll try to censor myself a little bit, but it, it's not telling the whole truth, right? They told us they have complete control of the North of Gaza, but then you open Twitter and you see the market in Jabalia, um, you know, lively, lively and, uh, and cheerful. In, in northern Gaza, feel of pe- with people, some probably terrorists, others just Hamas innocent civilians, air quotes, Hamas supporters, and uh, who either have tunnels in their homes or weapons in their homes or, or, or pull Hamas propaganda in their homes. And some of them recently came back from the south through breaches. And the fact that the IDF allows for uh, people... Um, uh, including terrorists and terrorist supporters, to live their lives in those neighborhoods in Gaza, while we have hostages, uh, to me is th- they're to blame for that, right? To and me, also that's the, the wrong the approach. Amount of, the amount of human aid going in at the beginning, yeah. no water, no, no, no water, no, 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 nothing. Okay, everybody's yeah. we're, we're starving them, air quotes, starving them, and then the hostages were released, and now it's been it's every it's like we're giving pita in the prisons again. Everything's la di da. Life is back to to normal. No, I'm not saying it's not a war zone, but people are functioning enough, obviously, not to feel the pressure. Right. I think like you're trying trying to hold a stick from both ends. Uh, strategy is is wrong, and um, and we have to make a choice. Either we. You know, you, if you really want the hostages, you can pull all your forces out of Gaza, right? Give them all our prisoners and uh, open all their borders. Let them have freedom to bring in more weapons and probably we'll get most of the hostages back, right? That's one way to go with it. I don't blame IDF for not, you know, uh, secret ops, uh, you know, Tom Clancy's style, uh, barging into the tunnel of uh, Sinwar. You know, we see it in movies, but obviously in life it's not as, it's very hard and probably in such an operation all of the hostages would die, right? So I don't think it's fair to expect them to, to, to be James Bond. Um, but I think uh, we, they are to be blamed and all, like everyone, the decision makers and the IDF itself for for um, not suffocating suffocating uh, Gaza, um, encircling Gaza. Nothing comes in until we either everyone dies or we see the hostages. Like that's that's I think the only approach uh, that that would lead to anything. Yeah, yeah. What I, do you think? I, 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 first of all, I'm not so sure that. Everybody is, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm living in my Tel Aviv bubble, but I, I think that things have been winding down or, or that things, you know, time does the time, time does its, its work. And as time goes on, people forget. And I was just, I was, I was, uh, riding my bike down Rothschild and there used to be this line of strollers, uh, along Rothschild with, uh, 
kind of this string with like the pictures of the hostages hanging and there were all these different like exhibits basically but empty strollers to represent all the babies um and and i was riding down rothschild and there's just like this one stroller that's like knocked over and all the other yeah. strollers are I, gone i noticed and, the the yellow ribbons that were wrapped around the gate over here i'm like <clears> someone <throat> needs to fix those they're almost neglected yeah so so I think, you know, as time goes on, people forget these aren't, if these aren't your family members, your, your friends or within your first or second circle, you're probably not, you know, living your life right now thinking every moment about them. And, and, and it's probably best that way. You know, I wouldn't want us to be debilitated and, and paralyzed by, you know, just, I see the effect it has on me and on, on my, you know loved ones like my family when my wife anytime my wife thinks about the hostages she just breaks down so so i i think you know i i said this at the beginning of the war i think that we made a grave mistake i don't think the hostages i think the best thing we could have done for the hostages was not think too much about the hostages I think we should have brought Hamas to their knees. I think, and we just spoke about this last night on the episode with Caroline Glick. We need, we, we should have immediately set as our goal at the beginning of the war to bring the Palestinian people to their knees, to, to absolutely defeat them, to dominate them. Right. And domination is where you beat someone so bad that, they have no will to continue fighting, at least in the near future. They just want to stop. They want to be subservient to you. That's what dominating means, and we need to dominate them. And so we should have got Bibi. I expected him, and I was extremely disappointed that after October 7th, first of all, he was silent for so long, but he should have gotten on. He should have said, you know, you have 48 hours to return all the hostages and to put lay down your arms or Gaza will look like, I don't know, Hiroshima. Like so, we should yeah, have made it you say that. and, yeah. and followed Actually, through with it. I have this handbook here. It's a Hasbara handbook by a, a guy on Twitter. Actually, he sent it to me. You know how it is. People are all doing their, their part. And he was, he, he like, he, he wrote a whole section here um, that a lot of people wouldn't appreciate. And he was like, we didn't have to kill one Gazan. He's like, we could have just circled Gaza with army tanks and you know, sat, went to the UN and told them straight up, you don't give the hostages back. We're 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 going to we're going to obliterate Gaza. Just put it straight on the table from the beginning. He didn't think we'd have to even fire one shot. Well, you have to be willing. You can't bluff. You have to be willing. You have to be willing to carpet bomb right. the entire strip because if that if you're not willing to do that, then you don't. I, then you value Gazan lives over your, our lives, and that's uh, that's a shame. And I think that the, I think it, that the government of Israel is responsible for their weak, tepid response towards what happened on October seventh. Yeah. Though it must be said that the army, in my opinion, would never um, carry out such a carry order. out such an order. No. So you fire them and you bring someone in that will. Said them. A day later. And then you and then I don't think you can outsource terror. Terror side. I call it terror side. You know they say genocide? It's not genocide. We're terror siding Gaza, but I don't think you can outsource it. I think the IDF would have to do it. They wouldn't do it. 
And if right. you try no, to fire, no, I'm saying you fire whoever so denies. So the so the so Barad Miara fires you for being uh, incapable. So you lock her up. Come <laughs> okay. on, seriously. <laughs> okay, so you and get a civil this war, which you just to, said. This all goes back to the court reform. That's the bottom line. This all goes back to reform. It does. It does. And the, the fact that you see Aaron Barak now um, representing us in the, in, in the hug, you know, in the end, what, what happened here? Aaron Barak came up with the judicial... Uh, uh, overhaul in 92, right? This led to the extreme force of the Supreme Court, which led to the reform, which led to the, to the refusals in the IDF, which led to October 7th, which led to the Hague, which led to Aaron Barak being representing yeah, us. Yeah, but it's not his fault. It's the non-confrontational uh, uh, strategy of Bibi Netanyahu, who has always gone around and around and around and never dealt with the problem. And it's exactly what you're echoing right now. We, God forbid we do what we need to do because Gali Maharav Birara is going to fire Bibi. And that's exactly why he didn't do it. And that's exactly why he, Aaron Barak is going to head to the uh, uh, International Criminal um, um, court of Justice. Because they don't bluff. They they are willing, you know, Aron Barak, Ali Barav Miara, and all the lot, and the pilots, uh, refusing pilots, they were willing to not show up. I think they are bluffing. And th- th- we got a we got a, a perfect example of the fact that they right, were bluffing. Right. We because the war bluff, happened, exactly. and, and, and they, they, showed they, showed they showed up. It was too late, though. And that's why the, 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 the people who are willing to devolve into civil war are way fringe, and there's like five of them. And the second something actually happens, they'll be locked up, and that's fine. And okay, we'll 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 be done with it. But we need to be willing to deal with the problem, which is we need to in the end annihilate our enemies. When I try to explain my 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 girlfriend, who's like not she's not an Israeli, in the end of the day, the core of the issue of the problem here is who has the final say. The people, or the, or you know, the judiciary slash elite slash uh, America slash the hug. Who has the final say in the end of the day? Right now, the people don't have the final say because, by the way, if you poll the people, you would have like among Jewish population in Israel, you would have eighty percent. Uh, support of not getting any aid inside, not getting any food, like completely encircling them and and putting them under siege, essentially, right? Not to mention a huge consensus for for wiping them out of the face of the earth. So that's what the people clearly want, I think. No? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But that's far from what's being done. But I think that that's because uh, the current coalition doesn't represent the will of the people because they were elected, you know, a year before October 7th even happened. So they represented the will of the people and maybe the will of the people, you know, we all lived within that conception. The will of the people on October 7th, 2022 wasn't to wipe out Gaza. It was, okay, let's manage Gaza because it looks like it's working. We all learned a lesson, but the government hasn't internalized the fact, what, what, because elections are the way that governments internalize the will of the people and that one hasn't happened. And that's why I, I'm not so sure I'm fully behind, which is another lesson that I've been learning in the last three months is, yeah, is that there's a lot of, there's consensus around the idea that God forbid we go to elections during a war, but this war looks like it could be going on for the next six years. So are we not going to go to elections? I think we should go to elections tomorrow. I expect 
בצלאל סמוטריץ' ובן גביר, who I voted for, I expect uh, the, uh, the people who do represent to, to say, you know, and honestly, Yariv Levine, that's what I expected of Yariv Levine and Sinha Rotman when the reform came about. And this is what I'm talking about, is that we are, they're so obsessed with, with their, either maintaining their seat or maintaining unity within the people of Israel, not representing the, their constituency. So I they expect, were bluffing. I, expect Yariv, I expected Yariv Levine and Sinha Rotman to quit the coalition. I mean, Yariv Levine is such a, a such a, I, I don't want to fill in the blank. Okay, li- I'll listen, let I'll be honest with you. Blank, my, my audience, my audience, they don't even know these politicians personally. A lot of my audience is abroad. So, so right. Yariv Levine is the guy who walked around. He's the minister around, of justice. He's the guy who walked around for 20 years with a, 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 a sticker on his forehead that said judicial reform. That's what he lived for. That's the reason he was voted into number one or number two in the primaries. Number one. Number one in the primaries, meaning the list, not number one. Bibi was the prime minister. He was the leader of the Likud, but he was number one as far as the members of the Likud. And it's because he wore this huge sticker on his forehead that said judicial reform, and he kept saying judicial reform, judicial reform, judicial reform. And so he was put at the top of the list. He made his way into the Knesset. He finally got an opportunity to do what he needed to do. And he just backed away with his tail between his legs when the, when, the, when the moment of truth arrived. He should have said, this isn't happening. I don't care if I bring down the coalition. I don't care if I have enough people to come with me. I, my duty is to fulfill the will of my constituency. I didn't do that. I'm going home. Bye. So how would this war be different? If that, if he had followed through. Well, if we had more politicians who were willing to do that, then Ben Gvir and Simcha Rotman and Betzalus Motrich right now would be saying, w- our constituency right now is telling us, wipe out Gaza. You're not willing to do that? Then we don't have the mandate to form a coalition with you because we are not representing our constituency. So we are going home. Bye. Let's go to, ele- and then we'll go to elections. And you know what? If we misrepresented our people, then we'll be voted out. Or the opposite. If the people choose Gantz and Lapid and, and the center, then that's what the people want. But at least... Yeah, but if Simcha Rotman and Bezalel Smotrich and Ben Gvir don't have the, like, two brain cells inside their head to realize what their constituency wants in order to represent that within the coalition, then they really should I think they home. know exactly what they want. They're just... They, they, you know, it's uh, in the end, it's the hubris because they sit at the helm. Uh, they have very powerful ministries. You know, Ben Gvir, to your audience, if they don't know, Ben Gvir is the minister of internal security. Or he, he's in charge of the police. Uh, Smotrich is the minister of finance. He's in charge of all the financial systems in Israel. And it's a once in a lifetime for many of them role. Yeah. And they're just, uh, yeah. That's, they're feasting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're uh, enjoying the fat. It's, it's sad to say, but yeah. They don't have the balls to stand for the values. So let's talk about, you know, American Jewry, worldwide Jewry for a second, because they, they can't influence, you know, our government, and they see this from they a can different They can make Aliyah and uh, vote. They could and they should. I always say it's either, something's either going to pull you here or push you here. So better to... Make it happen uh, because you feel that draw, like I did. But as far as my listeners go, so they're watching this from afar. Many of them are not making Aliyah. They can't be here. Um, They're fighting their own. Well, it's not really their own fight because I think what what really happened here was that 
American Jewry, just because I you know, I know America, I'll, I'll speak for them. They kind of felt like they they you know we, we they can't influence what's going on in Israel. We have our you know we have politicians and they call the shots and our own government and people kind of just start, they stand by and they watch it unfold. But now it seems more evident than ever that we're really fighting the same fight and we're united on this and that Jews carry the responsibility of the country of Israel's existence, whether they like it or not. Right. So as Israelis, you know, on the one hand, we're just like, well, who cares what, you know, people abroad say? And then President Biden's half senile and Mike Pence is irrelevant and it all doesn't matter. On the other hand, you know, they are they are in, in this war with us in a sense. And, you know, President Biden is they say the last Zionist president. So let's keep that in mind. What are we up against, do you think, internationally? And do you think our government is doing a good job um, negotiating with our allies, friends and yeah, <laughs> you're exchanging um, smiles like, oh boy. Yeah, I well, I think first of all, relating to American jewelry, I think that uh, or jewelry around the world, anywhere around the world, uh, I think if you're not making aliyah, you're making a grave mistake. I don't think there's a place for Jews anywhere around the world except for Israel. Um, and I tell this, you know, to our listeners too, who seventy five percent of our listeners are in the states. Uh, presumably Jewish. Spotify doesn't give you that, that, that analytic. Demographic. Uh, yeah. Jew, non-Jew. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I seriously think that the best way you can influence and really the only place for Jews, it's hard. It's not easy. You might have to leave your family behind. You might have to get butchered in bed one morning. Uh, oh. God, God forbid, God forbid. God but, forbid. uh, but, uh, but yeah, there's, you know, there's dangers everywhere and risks everywhere and you might have to leave your, your extended family behind, or maybe you'll pull them here, but, uh, you should make Aliyah tomorrow. That's, that's regarding American jury. I think regarding, uh, President Biden, I don't think he's the last, uh, I think he's like probably the second anti-Zionist uh, president or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's been more actually, but I think he's very anti-Zionist. I don't think that he is supporting Israel in the least. I think uh, I think Israel is exceedingly dependent on the United States, um, and I think this is another lesson I've been learning. Uh, that I think that I mean I've always said that we shouldn't be dependent on the United States, and we shouldn't see a, a, like the United U.S. aid, both militarily and financially, as like some a must. But I never realized how deep it was. Again, yesterday we just had uh, Carolyn Glick on the show, and uh, brilliant, brilliant journalist, and she she was explaining to us how the the uh, Obama aid package works with the three point eight billion dollars a year, and it, pay, it basically uh, um, requires Israel to spend that money in the United States, and and basically led to a situation where Israel has shut down most of its arms production within Israel. So we find ourselves in a place where were incapacitated without the United States and we have to be dependent on them. And I think that that's, that's awful. I think yeah, that we should reality. be, yeah, we should be self-sustained um, and we shouldn't have to depend on the United States. Israel can't afford this war. Uh, it, it, it's not as much as Israel can't afford. Again, our GDP is really, really high. I mean, one of the highest in the world, almost comparable to the United States. I think the United States is like 60-something, $60 $65,000 per capita. 
Um, and in Israel, it's something like 50, like we're getting close. Um, we're, we're a very rich country. We are very advanced. We, we have the capability, but for some reason, um, the, the zoom keeps doing the thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why it's like a sign from the angels. Do we have I'll listeners? <laughs> no. You guys see that? <laughs> What's um, going on? Fireworks. Anyway, so no, no, it's a, it's a hand gestures. You do uh, this. Anyway, so I don't think it's as much that we can't afford. Like we would be able right now at this given t- point in time, we have it. We're at a we're at a very tricky spot because we we've stopped production apparently of the Tavol also or the the Israeli uh, M16 variation. Yeah, basically the Israeli gun that every soldier carries. We've switched from the M16, which was provided by the states, to the Tavol. And we stopped producing it two years ago. So right now, it's not like tomorrow you can just pick up, like decide to, to supply yourself with arms. But we should definitely get back on that track. And I think we're capable of being creative too. I mean, right in 67, I think we got all of our weapons from uh, the Czech Republic and planes right. from so, France. So, yeah. And yeah, also, so let's get creative. We're, we're a year away from a new American government. And that, you know, could go anyway. That could go anyway. Yeah. So that's something that we have to take in consideration. What do you think, Nor? Um, you think America has risen to the occasion? Do you think that despite uh, domestic pressure from his party, Biden has done the right thing and he's said the right things and he's been there for Israel? Like all things considered, no. it could have been worse. I think it could have been worse. How? How could it Kamala, have been Kamala worse? could be prime minister. Uh, sorry, pa- Kamala could be president. I don't know if it would be worse because because it's a double-edged sword, right? The the aid is so great that we cannot win the war. So what do we need the aid for if it makes us fight with two hands tied behind our back? Right. So America's hugging Israel so tight. I saw a cartoon. Biden is squeezing Israel so tight that he's preventing us from actually doing anything yeah it's literally a bear hug it's literally a bear hug and maybe you know it would be hard uh by the way trump could also uh, you know throw us under the bus uh, you don't know right uh just as kamala would we don't know what's going to happen uh with uh, with trump but hopefully not. But who knows, right? So you guys um, feel like we're, we're on our own. So when Yossi Levy Klein talks incessantly about, besides for field hospitals in Gaza, which is another, you know. But when, when he talks about, you know, in, all, everything depending on our international allies, you, you think that's, that's ridiculous. It's just nonsense. Israel has to take care of this and we should, and we're going to have to. Um, I think this is what the, the war taught wheels. us. We see, we see that. Um, we are, we are with, we are fighting with hand, our hands tied. We cannot, um, do what needs to be done in the South of Gaza, um, because we're constantly under threat from Biden. Basically, Biden tells us if you do this, 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 or that, we cut, uh, cut the cords, right? Cut, cut your oxygen, um, vis-a-vis but- arms, but it's also Ornament. the international pressure, like the the press. That's yeah, but we don't give. I don't think we care. I think a, I think a lot of people. I think BB cares. Maybe, but I mean, I think the average Israeli doesn't care. 
um, for international courts, international press. I don't think they don't care as much as they, maybe they don't think we, I think that, yeah, I think, look, there's a reason that there's so much Hasbara and those videos go viral. I hate the videos. I hate the videos. Yeah, like you should talk the, about that, I think. Which the, videos, yeah. We, we like social media. Which videos do you hate? The, you hate all the, the Hasbara videos. There's that guy uh, from the uh, the prime minister's office, I think. or Yeah, uh, Eli, 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 Elon Levy. Elon Levy. Yeah. yeah. What's your, you don't like him? Everyone loves no, him. No, I, I like him. He's he's a highly intelligent guy, and I think that he's he's great and... He's smart, and I think he's got the right. He's got a good heart, and he's got the right idea. But I think that the whole, the obsession of watching him uh, debate these anti semites is like it became a little like sticky. Yeah, no, but also like, like I don't What's care. The point? Like, if someone and uh, forgive the extreme, like taking it to the extreme, but if someone was debating Hitler and was like, "Oh no, but your points are actually racist," then w- that people would be like, "Oh, like yeah, it's totally like, redundant." It's just okay. So they I hate know, Jews. They hate Israel. Who cares? It why? What's the point? Evil. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. First of all, my father sits at home, watches news all day in Florida. Right? He's not here. He's taking in all this negative energy, all this, all these lies, all this, you know, whitewashing, pinkwashing, green. Who the heck knows? Like every single, everything single. It's so um, ludicrous at this point. That, but he chooses that, it. He can switch channels know, or turn know, off the TV. What, he can. This is this is local American news. First of all, I think it affects the morale of Amer- of Jews abroad. I think it does. I think that when Israel's losing the social media and the news uh, and the press. It, it it's there's some sort of it, it's a victory every time a a representative of Israel gets on the news. Let's say why why are people so obsessed with Douglas Murray? Because he just he he articulates it with this posh English accent and he and what he, does he just, it what does it no, help but us? Douglas with? Murray, you know what? Douglas because people I, are stupid, they believe everything. What do you mean? What does it do? Okay, so when you're watching Douglas stupid. Murray speak after a Pierce Morgan interview and he says everything you guys just said is garbage, you perk up. Yeah, you're but like, Douglas oh, oh, Murray. In the end, what are you doing here? You're convincing the convinced, right? Saying preaching and to the, the uh, and the haters gonna hate. No <laughs> hater, right? It's so like the, in the, so it's the like, wise Taylor Swift. Yeah, no, yeah. It's like it's like uh, my my childhood in Harlem. Uh, haters <laughs> gonna hate. No, but seriously, like no Israel hater watches Douglas Mary and has suddenly An aha moment. <laughs> yeah, it's like whoa. Jews are actually pretty cool. So you're yeah, saying, although the British accent is very compelling. So you feel like everyone's preaching to the choir on social media, all the Rudy Rockmans, yeah, Sibetskis. Like, you think it's yeah. a waste of time? Sometimes I feel like that. I mean, I look at the comments. I'm like, everyone you're talking to is on your side. It's yes. pointless. Not to but, mention, in the end, you know, you're fighting as one billion, you know, at least one billion haters all around the world who are already they're born to, you know facing the other way but it's it's not it's not pointless as much as it's detrimental i think that there's two things to it one there's only there's a limited amount of resources so as long when it comes to money and when it comes to energy and focus and everything in life there's a limited amount of resources and when you're allocating resources to arguing with idiots who hate you 
It's like, you know, it's like my wife says when I yell at people on the street that are, you know, driving dumb. It's like, why am I wasting only, time? Not right, only am only I wasting, wasting your energy, right? Not, well, not only am I wasting, she's in the car and she hears me yelling. They don't hear me. They just drove by Your daughter. Yeah, and I'm like, ah! And she's like, you're just screaming in my ear. Like, why are you yelling at them? So you're, you're A, you're, you're diverting energy to the wrong place. And B, think about it from a character standpoint. Like, if your kid was doing this, you'd be like, hey, you know, if my Daniela was, was debating with people your who daughter. are calling her my daughter, where people were t- telling her, I don't know, she's one and a half and she's not fat. But let's say people were saying, you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're uh, and she was like, well, actually, let me, I'll have you know, A, my BMI is, you know, it's like, what? Why? No, you should, you know, you, you should know that you're beautiful. You're smart. I love you. These people are stupid. Ignore them. If they I don't know. I don't slap know if I... you, then I wish I could buy you a little pink pistol to shoot them in the face, but I can't because we're in Israel. But you know, if they get, if they get up in your face and they're violent or whatever, obviously you need to do something about it. But if it's just like, paka paka, we, we've gotten to this place where it, you know the old uh, sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me it was such a great little rhyme but today all the kids have been convinced and the world and and it, the israeli government that words can actually hurt us like words can't hurt us i don't know it's words that turn into actions what are you talking about i think that the job of the, the of the Israeli Hasbara community, let's let's put it that way, because there really is no defined community. Nobody's on a payroll. It's kind of just everyone freestyling and you know feeding off each other. But I think, first of all, I think there's this quality versus quantity aspect. So you're saying, yeah, we have billions of trolls around the world, and everybody's putting out lies and all that stuff. But truth is stronger than the lies. You know, one strong gush of water from a fire hydrant could put out a million candles. So I think that when people Does are it though? Um, I, I, I think mine, you, we can still save and, and change the hearts and minds of American youth. It's like saying it's futile to address the, the education that Americans are, American kids are getting. Like, let's not even waste our time. What do you mean? We should waste our time there. And we should make sure that what they're seeing on the news and all that stuff is, what do, is what reality do I care and the about is the American Because youth. they're voters. They are going to vote for presidents that are... Let's say, let's say Trump was 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 president, for, you know, no. or Bush. We we no. would have a more a bigger advantage in this war. We wouldn't be wondering, you know, if, if would depending we? on the Bush forced uh, Sharon to stop the. No, but I also think that the attempt to influence the outcome of American elections through Hezbollah is like far fetched. I think that, again, I think. You're going to devote a whole ton of energy to it and resources. And I don't agree that there's nobody on payroll. There's like, there's tons of, first of all, there's a minister of Hezbollah, no? Mm, she quit. Yeah, but but there's an office for Hezbollah. Yeah, now it's under, under Shikli. Yeah, there's millions of shackles being. I know, if, but there's not, but, there's not, it's not being uh, funneled to the right, in my opinion. But my whatever it is, right I, think, I think, I think it's devoting resources to something that you, you'll never be, I mean, like, we're not really going to You need to choose your battles, yeah. basically. And we saw what happened when the Russians tried to influence the elections in the States. <laughs> I don't think no, we're I'm trying kidding, to influence but, uh, anything. I don't think we're trying to influence anything. Uh, I just think we don't have to sit back and take it. Like, when people are, like, telling bold, uh, bold-faced lies. It. 
That's what I tell. That's exactly what I tell my wife. What about Twitter? Yeah. That's exactly what I tell my wife when someone does something and I'm like, oh, I can't just take it. And and then she always convinces me that I'm an idiot because maybe because I am an idiot. But she she always convinces me, you know, because I'm like yelling at this guy and I'm like, I can't stand for it. Like I'd be doing some more. But like the dude is I mean, he's pointless in my life. I don't really care about him and I'm not standing up for what's right. I'm just doing it because of my ego. And that was my point is that. We're doing it not because we really care to stand up for what's right. We're doing it because we are weak and we have low self-esteem. I think we're doing it because we, I think we're doing it because we care about the truth and we care about that one random person who will have access to the truth because someone took the time to prepare a video about it and will be able to live in a reality that's you know more that that's that. You know, that yeah. makes sense. It's not fair that we should just allow people to lie about Israel. By the way, Israel, at the end of the day, it's ours, but it's also everyone's. I always, uh, whenever I go internationally or travel, I, we were in Dubai this summer. You know, when you say I'm from Israel, everybody reacts. No matter where they're from. They're mm-hmm. from Kenya, all over the world, China. People react. Why? Israel. And some people didn't even actually know, you know, much about it except like, oh, Jerusalem or one tiny little word, like knowing that it's the holy, the holiest place in the world. And so I think it is important that we, that internationally we dispel lies and myths about us and, and try to push that down. Nor, what do you think? I mean, even on, I mean, I know your podcast is not about that. And just before you, before you even answer, I want to wrap up in a minute with, um, something a little more joyful and positive. So if you're starting to get stressed out and you're chugging that spiked coffee you have there, relax. We're going to get into something a little more chill and happy and we'll end off on that. But Noor, do you think that, um, for example, if I sit here ranting and raving about why there are no innocents in Gaza, I did two episodes on that topic. You think I'm wasting my Mm -hmm. time? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) First of all, you're wasting it twice. First, because you're not convincing anyone but the convinced. And second, because, you know, you're, you're, you're advocating for something we're not even capable of doing, right? If there indeed were no innocents in Gaza, we would obliterate Gaza or push them out which, and do a second Nakba. But we're not doing that, right? So you're losing, you're wasting your t- time twice, in a sense. And... What should you talk about? No, you can talk about it, and we're talking about it yeah. a lot. But I, I'm just saying, let's be honest with our, with ourselves. This is an echo chamber. But I think no, I think that like what we talk about it on our podcast. We're talking with you. You talk about it on your podcast, and our audience is mainly American Jews, and that's fine. And I actually like. You know, and it, it, it's fine that, you know, we're talking to on CNN and whatever. That's fine. It's, it's not like I, I think it's a grave sin. I just I really do think that culturally it's a problem. But I think that it should come from a place ultimately in the end. And this is why I, I, I don't think people should end up on CNN debating Israel haters because it should come from a place. And this is where I not try convincing to direct, anyone. Well, not convincing anybody outside of the community. Meaning I'm talking to Jews, I'm talking to Jews, American Jews, Israeli Jews, if there's anybody listening here, and we're having a conversation and here we're debating. And I think this is, by the way, goes back to the why I love podcasting and, you know, our listeners will listen in and they'll decide what speaks to them, or maybe they'll mesh our ideas together and come up with something of their own. And, and, 
and but that's the idea is that we're we're having a conversation within the family and we have different ideas and we're trying to get to the bottom of it but the idea of like you know I'm going to go outside instead of talking around the dinner table with the people I love and care about and trying to reach, you know, an agreement or to, to whatever, at least debate ideas. I'm going to go outside to my front lawn and yell at the next door neighbor my ideas when my next door neighbor just hates me and wants to burn down my house. I'm going to yell at him that like all these, it's like, why? No, let me go back inside. I'll talk to my family. I'll have a good conversation. And and that, that's I think like, people shouldn't make themselves too crazy with the activism. Yeah, no. I think we should focus on what our goals are, what we care about, self-interest. And pressure uh, the government to execute our, our will. I think that's way more important goal. Right. All right, let's, let's wrap this up with something joyful, positive, uplifting. Um, you're, you know, we're social creatures... And, um, very, it's been, it's been, I don't know how to describe it kind of like just, I don't know, I've floated through the last three months, but what's really kept me positive and up uplifted are, is just how amazing Israelis are, how capable we are, how quickly we mobilize, uh, what we're capable of, the amount of money, <clears throat> excuse me, amount of money have been, that's been fundraised, the amount of weddings that, that, that have been made. It's really been, uh, you know, books could be written on what transpired and transformed here in Israel over the last 12 weeks. So share, if you can, just think of something real quick, something that you saw, watched, or experienced that would not necessarily have impacted you or uh, made you, you know, have all the feels before October 7th. Like, what, what, what changed around you that, for the good, for the good that you could share with our audience? Wow. It's hard, hard question. I just saw, I just saw a video on Twitter, <laughs> you know, for all those people saying Twitter is just a dumpster fire of hate and, uh, I love um, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I just saw a video on Twitter of, uh, um, a bunch of soldiers in a house in Gaza that they had, uh, I'm assuming they, you know, they're there for the night or whatever. Uh, like 25 soldiers, some of them with kippah. Uh, with a yarmulke and some without, singing Amakom uh, Yerachem. All right, I, I'm not even going to try and sing it, but um, I posted that. I posted that. That's from my Instagram page. Yeah, it's, yeah. Try not wow. to sing. <laughs> wow, it moved me. It moved me because you know it's a uh, the song for listeners who don't know. It's about people in suffering and how you know it's a cry to the heavens for for God to have mercy on those suffering. And to take them from suffering to uh, salvation, to to salvation, and it's uh, it's just a beautiful song, and it's a beautiful moment of a bunch of soldiers, you know, sitting around. And these are these look like sadirnikim. They look like uh, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, not reserve duty, like compulsory. And it's just like it just filled me with hope that we have the best people in the world on our side. You know, there's videos. <clears throat> from wartime from other countries horrific things you know we saw the stuff coming out of ukraine and russian soldiers and ukrainian soldiers and our soldiers are just like they're literally hearts of gold and uh yeah my experiences are similar i i'm a freelance videographer and i was hired by a division of the idf to go and interview soldiers who just got out of gaza um, for internal IDF purposes. 
and I found myself like right at the border several times uh, last month, um, interviewing soldiers, both Sadir uh, and reserves, who just get, got out of Gaza. Did I tell you about it? So, yeah. Um, and you know, it's one thing to see all the videos. It's another thing to actually uh, meet and talk to them and, and uh, you know, half a minute, uh, half an hour conversation. Um, and I really was inspired and, and I really was moved by talking to them. And I think uh, they are really amazing and, and, and highly motivated. You know, their heart is in the right place, no doubt. And they want, they really want, they just need to do the order, right? They're just waiting for the order. And to ruin your bright ending, and uh, finish with a bad note. <laughs> Leave it to know. <laughs> um, I think, <laughs> like, like from, uh, yeah, sorry for ruining the podcast. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I have to finish in a bad note. That's my tradition. Uh, now, talking to reservists, I think it is clear that they have no idea what they're doing there. What are they fighting for? What are they dying for? Um, because no, it is clear that no one knows what's the end game here. No one knows right. where we are going. We, if the we're not going knows. to, there is someone yeah. who knows. There is someone who knows. He's the yours. Uh, yeah, he's ours. That's what we have in common. <laughs> um, let's not get into let's that. Let's not get into that topic <laughs> with you. But uh, you know, I don't think Noor is. Um, guys, thank you so much, Noor and Eitan. Uh, uh, like thank I said, you. I love your show. Thank I love you. the little ditty, by the way, that you play before the show, your intro. Oh, I don't know what that is. That's so it's da, called da, 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 a little da. Jewish song. For the two nice Jewish guys. They have a, a little Jewish boys. podcast that's really good. Two nice Jewish boys. Well, yeah, you guys are men, but whatever. You know, whatever you want whatever you want to <laughs> tell yourself. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here and stay safe. We should only share good news. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So there you have it. Episode 166 of the Weekly Squeeze. Don't forget to leave me a five-star rating. Share this podcast with a friend. Want to support the podcast? Support the fundraiser. The link is in my show notes. Where you can also subscribe to the Two Nice Jewish Boys podcast. Like to talk about the episodes? Join the Weekly Squeeze chat. Leave me a speak pipe. And I will see you on Thursday.